2: You have an Airbnb, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: In this podcast, we pick the bones of another poor week for Borough in which defeat to Coventry mounts even more pressure on Chris Wilder. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast, and this is all your Borough Matchday Chatter in a pod. Support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for That's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the treble.
2: Abanelli oh! coming alive again. Janini wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Borough Breakdown podcast, where the podcast that gives you all of your Borough Match Day chatter in a pod and we lost again it's now 11 league games played two wins four draws and five defeats making it borough's worst start to a season outside of the top flight now before we get into that i do want to let everybody know why we've gone blue this month uh, it is our mnd awareness month we are raising money and funds for our chosen charity the Morton Neuron Disease Association. Um, October is a really difficult month for me. It's when my mom sadly passed away. I know she'd probably hate me for mentioning that on the podcast. She'd probably say, shut up, Dana, get on with it. But uh, if anybody could give any money, the link is www.justgiving.com forward slash M N D. So, Tom, <laughs> oh, where do we even begin? Um, three words. I'll, I'll um, start off with that. We obviously asked the listeners as well what their three words are. I'm going to read out a few. Paul said deflated, uninspired, broken. Simon said it's getting worse. Liam said we look lost and Jonathan, difficult to watch. Tom, tell me your three words.
3: Oh, man, uh, apathy creeping in. Um, And I I feel like I'm going to be disappointing a few people in our Telegram chat today who expected me to just be really angry and kind of go off on one um, but I'm not even angry anymore just disappointed I, I knew exactly what was going to what was going to happen yesterday obviously um, I went um, so kind of all the way up to, to Saturday I kind of, it was in the back of my mind that I'd be going but it wasn't like oh I'm going to a match on Saturday it's just like I forget about it and then Oh, oh yeah, I'm going to the match on Saturday, and it it I don't want anyone kind of get the wrong impression that like oh as soon as we start losing I'm kind of like not bothered or anything like that. It's just you know exactly what's going to happen. Like thinking forward to that day, I just thought you know it'll be a good day up until the football starts. I'll have a good laugh with the lads I'm going with. We'll have a drink before the match and stuff. That that's the bit you look forward to. And then you actually go to the stadium and watch it, and it's just the same stuff over and over again. The same mistakes. The like, you know exactly what we're going to do. We'll we'll either make a mistake and concede, and then you know rally back, and it'll be the hope that kills you in the second half that you you think, oh well, maybe maybe we might get an equalizer. We actually started to attack now, but we should have been doing that for the whole game. Um And then all the attacks are exactly the same as well. Um They'll go down. Either wing go across the face of the goal, no one will be there, and or it gets cut out easily by their defence. It's just we, we've become so predictable. Just every match day seems the same now, and li- literally the the only good part of it is before the match, and then it's it's <laughs> somehow double the length of the journey home for an away day or, or even a home match because you get stuck in traffic. Then mm. then it is actually going to the ground. Um. Yeah, it's it's just not a good time to be a Borough fan at the moment. I think.
1: Yeah, definitely not. I think mine's something that's <laughs> got to give because listen, it was so poor yesterday, and I was really hoping that after the international break we would sort out the problems that we've seen so far this season. And going to Coventry, I was. I said to you, I I felt really unasked about that game because I felt like. I mean, the international break, I I think I do disconnect from football a little bit, but obviously going into that international break off the back of those two really disappointing uh, results against Cardiff and Rotherham, I checked out a little bit, admittedly, and picking back up from there, I just really wanted to see Borough win and improve an improvement in that performance, and we didn't see it. I I saw little to no improvement from the Rotherham game, and something has got to change because I... am. I do, and I have believed in Chris Wilder, but I said in the last podcast that if we don't win, more question marks will start to crop up and even more question marks cropped up after that game yesterday. And I remember we recorded after Coventry last season and it was a very critical podcast of ours and a few people said like a little bit negative there, guys, and completely understandable. It was um, probably the the point in which I thought, is is Warnock really the right man for this job? And I don't really want to be as critical in this podcast as I was in the last one, but it does kind of feel like a little bit of deja vu because Borough are very much stuck in the mud. We don't look like a team. There's no joint up thinking. The The combination play is just really bizarre in that it's not functional. It, it looks really tired. We don't, I mean, simple passes are going astray. And I just don't understand really what we're seeing. I'm I'm very lost and I feel like this team is very lost uh, as well. But let's get fully into it because Victor Jokeres, of course, uh, scored the only goal of the game, which gave Coventry their first three points of the season. So very generous from Borough there. Uh, Tom, as you mentioned, you were there. I was there as well. We both were, unfortunately. Um, What did you make of the performance?
3: I just thought it was power, um, and it's like like I said earlier, you knew exactly what was going to happen. It was the same as as the other away game I've been to in Reading, and I get the impression that the Cardiff game was quite similar to the QPR game, uh, especially in terms of scoreline, and, and it, it just seemed very, uh, very much the same uh, with this one. I thought it was fairly poor goal to concede um just be- because of you know giving them it back off a of throw in and then it, oh, it's God. it's just like it, it's a proper proper FIFA ball over the top to a to player with more pace than the defender and there's only <laughs> kind of one one outcome from that point um and and then we just we just didn't do enough after that like you can't just can carry on only turning up for one half of a football match and and thinking that you're gonna win it. And I mean, we we did look a lot more positive after the second half. I mean, Coventry, I don't feel like they had to do much second half other than defend and uh, occasionally hit us on the break, um, which, you know, it, it still looked dangerous every time that they did that because, you know, Giocarez was having an absolute field day against our defenders, which... I've been saying it was going to happen all week. Um, I should have bet on it because I've been sat there at <laughs> work all week and people have been coming to talk to me about, are oh, you going to Coventry on Saturday, And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I got is going to have an absolute feel uh, We saw him actually. Our, uh...
1: As the coach was coming in, we saw him. He was like signing loads of Coventry fans' shirts and things like that. And I just stared at him. I was like, he's definitely scoring today. It just felt so inevitable, like football narrative and everything. He was somebody that Chris Wilder was interested in in the summer. It just felt so, so predictable, inevitable that it was going to happen. And obviously it did. But I, I agree with you, he bullied our defence, didn't he?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dale Fry, I think, can stand up against most, uh, you know, very good strikers. And, uh, you know, he, he did that against Kane and Ronaldo. Uh, last last season, did really well, and then he really kind of struggled against Lukaku. And I feel like it was very, very similar, but not as one-sided with uh, with uh, I feel like Gakerez is has that strength, and uh, the other thing is the pace, which hurt us as well. Um, our defense just didn't look up to up to that challenge. Um, I, I don't think feel like we handled him that well, um, and probably. It's probably because of the way we play, uh, by having such a kind of high line. There's so much in, in mm. space and behind for him to run into if he can get past the defender, which he was doing the majority of the time. Uh, I think the defense obviously did the best that they could in trying to keep him out wide and keep him in kind of like non-threatening areas. But then he still got it in his locker to run across the face of the box and keep hold of the ball. So. Yeah, it, it was it was a very very difficult game in in terms of containing him, But uh, I, I just I think most of the team were just poor yesterday.
1: Yeah, I didn't understand what I was watching to be honest. As I said at the top of the show, I was just I was really hoping there would be some improvement, and we just looked really flat and disjointed. And the midfield, again, so problematic. There's just no movement. There was no... They they did not look on the same wavelength. We couldn't string two or three passes together because it would constantly be played wide of a player or played behind them. And I think being in that... I mean, the atmosphere was flat in the away end. I was really surprised at just how kind of disconnected the support was. Red faction were there trying to get things going, but it just wasn't really it didn't manifest into a good atmosphere because, and I do think that when that, when the atmosphere is like that, it's because of what we're seeing on the pitch and what we saw on the pitch yesterday was just, it was just really, really disappointing. And I mean, you said there about the high line, it's always going to be an issue of that, set up and it's the risk that you're willing to take but we have to be good in possession and we're just not this season it's been a theme where we we are so sloppy with the ball and Crooks was probably Crooks and Housen were incredibly poor with it yesterday um more I do have to ask the question of what he offers because I do think he started really well but he's just completely he's 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 incognito now he's anonymous I don't know what good he brings to the side to be honest I know that sounds harsh but I haven't seen anything from him since his second game or so um just just so poor and I'm, I'm so numb to everything that's going on right now because I just don't understand what this team is doing as I said at the beginning the, the worst league start outside of the top flight ever it's it's incredibly poor and for a manager for the manager that we have, Chris Wilder, you would not expect it. But Wilder made changes. He brought in Smith, Bowler and Moore for Jones, Giles and McGree. Um, he said after the game about the wingback changes, we thought that the right way to go about it was to come here, be nice and strong and solid and get a foothold in the game, especially with our current away record. We needed to do something knowing that after 60 minutes, if we needed to take the game away from the opposition, we had those two to come on. It was bold from, from Wilder, Tom. And, and you did say that if now isn't the time to play Tommy Smith, you don't know when w- will be. Uh, it didn't pay off. But what did you think of, of those changes?
3: Well, I think Wilder was definitely listening to our last podcast if, uh, <laughs> um, if Smith got the start. But I I, I understood um, the uh, Smith in for Jones change, I didn't understand Bowler in for Giles. I just Neither. feel like Giles is where most of our attacking threat has actually came from this year. Uh so I thought if, if he's going Smith and bowler he might be going thinking them to have a little bit more in terms of defensive qualities than uh, than Giles and Jones which I can understand but I did hear a, a a lot of kind of the um I think you mentioned it the last podcast the kind of uh miss uh, uh misunderstanding about Tommy Smith where people think yeah. he's just like a, a right back and it, they don't realize that he's uh you know up there with Jones in terms of chance creation numbers for for last season so I was like we, we're still going to have a threat going forward I think Smith and Bowler are still uh you know fairly threatening uh it going forward uh in terms of their chance creation but they just don't create as much as uh, I mean, Giles in particular, but also Jones. That being said, I do still think it was a good idea to change Jones uh, Jones out because I just feel like he hasn't been looking like himself for the last few games. He came on as a sub yesterday and then seemed back to it. He was running at players again. And for me, Jones has two main strengths. It's running at players and that low ball across the box. And he, I don't know, he just seemed a little bit more free to to run at players yesterday when he came on off the bench. So, I mean, it's a shame he's out for the next match because of his uh, suspension. But if he'd got back to that form and kind of remembered what he's supposed to do in those positions, then uh, hopefully that, um, you know, 60 minutes or whatever it was on the bench has has probably served him quite well. Um, Also, and for uh, for Mourton, I didn't particularly... Understand too much. I, I think if he was going for, you know, experience and 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 being more kind of solid and 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 stuff, there's maybe an argument to put more in him. But he has been on poor form the last few games, um, and I think it's been kind of really well identified recently that we don't have uh, anyone who can bring the ball and out from midfield mid progressive, which you know McGree can do so. It it seemed to me like McGree should have been in for from the start yesterday instead of Mort as well.
1: The Giles thing was so weird because Johnny said in the group chat, Thank God I'm not there because of the team. And I looked at it and I thought, What what is Wilder doing here? It was it was really bold. And of course, if it if we'd have got the win, it would have paid off and, and we would have lauded the tactical masterclass, if you will, of Wilder. But you take out Giles. And this is no slant on Mark Bowler because literally anybody that comes in place of of Ryan Giles is going to be immediately inferior to him. His deliveries are fantastic. Yes, defensively, he might not be great, but there's a big conversation around Trent at Liverpool right now. It's just the risk that you take when you're a wing-back in a possession-dominant system. Um, As I've mentioned so many times, Borough aren't using the ball well enough and that's why we keep getting hit with that long ball in behind. But you take Giles out of the team, you have taken out a lot of Boris' creativity and we lacked that in that first half. Bowler kept putting balls down the line into the channel and there was nobody there. And that's where I was thinking, right, more getting to those positions that Crooks usually occupies in those half spaces. But he just wasn't. And I feel like that could either be a tactical decision from Wilder. He did mention in those quotes that I, I read out there that he wanted to be a, a little bit more defensively solid. Or it could just be Alex Moore deciding to stay back himself, um, not take the risk, not offer himself up for the ball. I feel like it's more the former than the latter. And Wilder did say to, to more like, you know, tuck in and stay stay there just in case we do get hit on the counter-attack. But then that meant that nobody was down that channel. And in the build-up to the goal that we conceded, Bowler just kicked it down the line and it went straight out play for a throw in. And I just turned around to my dad and I just shook my head in absolute utter disbelief. And then the next thing, you know, we've got a throw in and we've left it, or we've we've lost the ball and they score. But it just you think about those situations, the ball down the channel. If if Moat's not going to go there in those half spaces, then a Duncan Watmore should be there. There was a complete disconnect of that left hand side, and then when Giles came on, it was a big boost because of course. He's one of the best wing backs in the league. He's going to give you that creativity. But then it just petered out. You know, the second half was better than the first, but it wasn't great. We had that like 10 minute spell where I think that, that those changes did give us a lift. I think the crowd lifted as well, but it didn't really, it, it didn't transpire to anything because at the end of the day, Borough are poor in midfield. We seemed to be vulnerable defensively. And then up front, it was like pulling teeth to try to get, an opportunity, so it was just, I think that size says it all, to be honest, but we talk about uh, Toby Smith there, how did you think he he fared, that was his first start for Borough?
3: I didn't think he did too badly, um, I mean that is in kind of the greatest scheme of saying, you know, everyone in the squad was poor, um, but <laughs> I, I don't think he stood out as being like, the most poor there or like, he didn't belong in that position or anything like that, you, you could tell he will offer something in that position and he he obviously does know how to play there and he's he's got ability it's just no one looked good in that game so I can't I can't really say that you know he's gonna be like you know top competition for Jones he's he's gonna replicate those numbers from last season or anything like that because as we're playing at the moment no one's going to do that but like I say, he he didn't stand out as being exceptionally poor or anything like that. He did seem like he belonged in the team. Uh, it, it was just poor all around.
1: It didn't really help that Crooks could not pass a simple ball, to be fair.
3: Yeah, yeah, there, there was that. And, and also his first touch was very much like a trampoline. Uh, yesterday I said in the um, the Telegram chat, it was just all over the place. So I feel like even any passes, that any decent passes that Smith might have played into, into Crooks, uh, you know, wouldn't have, have actually resulted in anything anyway because he'd have had to make up about another five yards to recover the ball. Um But yeah, uh, he didn't. It wasn't really helped on that right hand side. I think in the first half, if I'm remembering right, he did play a few kind of like hopeful balls down the channel for Watmore to run onto, Um, and Watmore looked fairly dangerous from from the vantage point of being at the other end of the stadium. (laughs) Um, You you know you get your hopes up and you're just like oh maybe he's going to like take everyone on here and he did run at people and get the ball, but. So I get the ball from Smith's balls down on the channels, but obviously he didn't actually do anything in the end. So, um, yeah, I'd I'd probably give him like a 5 out of 10 uh, debut for us. But by no means the worst player there, but no one was good.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, we did get caught out by a ball in behind Uh, The goal that we conceded, I was fuming. If there was a Dana cam in that stadium, which I'm really glad (laughs) there isn't because I did nothing throughout that game apart from just whinge at that goal, then you would see all my gesticulating. Um, A throw-in, Tom. It was a throw-in from us um, that ends up in a goal. It literally 12 seconds between Matt Bowler uh, taking the throw-in, sorry, and Victor Jocker at scoring. 12 seconds. It was absolutely ridiculous. And this happens quite frequently with Borey. You see there, he's literally in line with the eight, edge of the 18-yard box. And yet somehow it's a, a really poor ball from Matt Clark back to baller. Again, talking about that disconnect on that left-hand side. There was just that really simple pass that was a theme throughout the entire game. We just could not play it properly. And then all of a sudden you've got Fancati's elbow, who I'm a massive fan of, by the way, their right wing back. Plays the ball down the line. All of a sudden, Victor Ocares threw on goal. Of course, there was only going to be one outcome. One-on-one was like Stefan, plays it through his legs into the back of the net. And I was absolutely furious because in no way, shape or form, should Borough be conceding an attack from a throw-in that that is well, well, well in the opposition's third. That should have been, you know, talking about percentages, there's more likely a chance of that ending up in a Middlesbrough opportunity than a Coventry opportunity. And yet somehow it's so simple the way that we get caught in behind because we commit so many players up the pitch. It's that, again, that risk that you take that just backfired completely. And uh, Wilder did mention that Dyksteel stepped up. There's no angle or viewpoint that we can see the, the defensive line, unfortunately, but I was absolutely furious with that goal I just don't understand how we can concede from a throw-in. It absolutely baffles me. And that was what decided the game in the end. A th- a, from a throw-in, I just don't... I properly don't understand it. What was your thoughts on the goal?
3: Well, poor. Um, I've just been thinking through all that. Like, I mean, Coventry weren't exactly great yesterday either. And I feel mm. like if they don't have Yoko that game ends up 0-0 and no one's happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, just very poor. I mean, I couldn't remember uh, kind of from from watching the game yesterday how how far down the line that throw actually was to me in, in in my memory. It was it was a lot further towards the halfway line than that. But seeing that again, good grief! Like eighteen yard box, like it's it's so easy. You just take a short throw and keep possession of the ball and try and fashion out uh, a chance from there like you know we usually do with um with throw-ins around that area. You know, it'd be Jones or Giles throwing it in, uh McGree or Crooks will take a, a a pass or maybe a touch in Crooks' case. And um it'll go back to the, the throw-in taker. Um and and you know then then you can you know try and try and get a cross in. But I, I just don't understand how you can give the ball away in that area and have so many people up the pitch where it's that simple for Giokaras to to run through and score, and just to top it all off, going through Stefan's legs as well. Like, thank <laughs> God that's the worst thing possible as as a goalkeeper. It's not quite Joe Lumley against Barnsley levels, but <laughs> oh, <Doris. laughs> as someone who oh. quite often plays goalkeeper, if I was Zach Stefan there, I'd be absolutely fuming <laughs> at that. But I, to be honest. He had a similar chance, uh, although there was a lot more people there um, earlier in the game over on the right hand side, and Stefan made a save one on one. So even though he was running through there, and I just like half, no, probably about sixty percent of me is thinking, "Yep, yeah, this is a goal." There's probably still about forty percent going, maybe Bowler or Catchem or or um, was it Baller? Was it? It, it, it was Dyke still, wasn't it? It
1: was Dyke yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's just because he was on the left hand side. Uh, I, I thought it might have been. Um, running back but no it it was Dyke still running back so it was like maybe he's going to catch him or um you know maybe Stefan's going to going to make this save and it just it it went with the the 60% of of me being sure that (laughs) uh that it, it was going to go in um just poor poor goal to concede
1: 12 seconds, 12 seconds between the throwing and Victor Yocarette scoring. And yeah, you look at Bora and it was, <laughs> it's like crafting a masterpiece trying to get us to fashion out any sort of opportunity, which is really worrying actually, because I have really liked what Rodrigo Muniz has brought Middlesbrough so far. It's that physicality and then you've got the tenacity alongside him with what more who I still think should be an impact substitute I don't understand why he keeps starting to be honest when we've got Marcus Voss um on on the bench but then I have said that he is an impact player as well so it's six and two threes probably but oh god it's 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 just so poor it's it's just so so poor the way that we are conceding goals at the moment and the way that we just seem to be struggling to to attack um but we will get into a lot more of that later because I do have a point on that. Um, But Tom, obviously another really poor result and especially on the other side of the national break as well, where we would have thought and assumed that there would be improvement. Very much not the case. Has that game changed your opinion on Chris Wilder at all?
3: A little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's changing more with every game that we play, to be honest. Um, I think like like you said, you've been kind of like a big supporter with him, of him when he first came in. I wasn't overly sold straight away. Um it was only after speaking to you and Johnny where I was like, Yeah, fair enough, this might actually be a a decent acquisition for us. And then he, he's proved it by playing, you know, getting the team to play decent football uh through, you know, uh, the winter last season and probably up until around March-ish time. And and that's where we started to go downhill. But it, it's something ridiculous, like four wins in twenty six games or something since that point now, and it, it's just it's getting to be bad. Like, like I said, you know what the team is going to do every time they they turn up, and it's it's never good football anymore. Um, I don't like the fact that he's coming out and throwing certain players under the bus. I said, just on the Dyke last podcast, still.
1: It's always just Dyke still, really, isn't it?
3: Well, it it is, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure there's there's probably been other examples as well, but um, you know, Dyke probably gets the brunt of it, I think, and you know that that last game, I think we spoke about on the last pod where he blamed eight individual mistakes in the build up the Cardiff goal, mm-hmm. like that is your fault. It's not eight individual players' faults. It's and and you know you you've got two weeks over the international break to to work on on the tactical stuff from the players, you know, it just in case there is that argument that, oh, they're taking a while to jail or, uh, you know, stuff like that. But, like, there was still a part of me yesterday that was thinking, you know what, maybe it's, like, the the opposite of what are used to happen to Karanka. Maybe we're going to come back after this international break and be absolutely class and win this 3-0. You know? And then it was just more of the same. Like, what were they doing in that two weeks? Because it doesn't look – it looks like they've had 14 days off. Like, it doesn't look like they've actually done anything. And he just kind of constantly blames individual mistakes. But I just, I I feel like it's just how well-drilled the squad is and they're they're not there yet. I don't feel like, so there's some examples and and like players, people slate at the moment. Alex Mort being one of them. Alex Mort doesn't become... You know, highly rated at Barnsley and, and Leeds and then overnight become poor when he goes to West Brom and Borough. Matt Clark doesn't win Player of the Year for the last three seasons at his last two clubs and then become poor overnight when he comes to Borough. Um, I, I had another example as, as well. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head. Daryl Ennahan doesn't you know he's not like mr reliable uh you know blackburn's captain and then starts making mistakes overnight just off his own back when he comes to borough i i don't think this problem is necessarily just on the players i think it's how well drilled they are and i just don't get the impression anyone particularly knows what they're doing at the moment uh which i just i I really feel comes down to tactics
1: Mm. i've started thinking recently that we need a massive change in them because Wilder's tactics are not new anymore. The overlapping centre-half business was fantastic when it was introduced in his Sheffield United team, and it was very much innovative and almost groundbreaking, if you will. I mean, I'm pretty sure there'll be some Dutch team or Dutch manager that explored that before Wilder did, but certainly in England, it felt like that was very much a new thing, and yet it isn't anymore. We have seen it against us. We saw it against Sheffield United. Paul Heckingbottom adopts very much similar tactics and methods to Chris Wilder. Perry and G scored a goal against us in which he was the overlapping centre-back. Something needs to to change for me, not drastically, but I think we need new ideas. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a change in manager, but I think Wilder and Neil have a reputation, or certainly Nil does anyway, of, of being a great tactician um, and a great innovator w- within those tactics. We need something because in 2022, we are very much a mid-table team. 13th, if you look at the annual table and transfer marked, 41 points from 32 games, which is just over one point a game. That's not, good enough form to get into the top six because there are teams that are absolutely flying in the championship. And I do think this championship is just as poor as last season for me in terms of, I guess, the the scope of teams that could get into the top six and Borough are so far off it at the moment. And you know what? I'm also starting to think that I'm very much still Wilder and I, I will uh, reiterate that mainly because his reputation at Sheffield United is what it is or was because of the success that he brought to that football club I'm hanging on to the hope that he can change things around because he's done so in the past however in the present it's been poor and we have to judge it based on what we are seeing and maybe I'm leaning far too into what he's done in the past because right now he's not doing it at all he's not getting us the results he's not The football isn't particularly... Well, it's not swashbuckling as it was last season. It's not particularly great to watch. It's infuriating, actually. And I'm also starting to think that... And this might be controversial. That Wilder just isn't the right fit for Borough. And and hear me out here, because with a manager like him and the success that he's brought to Sheffield United, to Oxford, to Northampton, somebody that got Sheffield United... in a a very comfortable and established position in the Premier League. They were not that far away from a European position. They were fantastic in that division, the top flight of English football. With a manager like him, there's going to be, quite naturally, an expectation of short to mid-term success. And yet Borough seemed to be, anyway, moving in a more long-term direction. And the reason why I think that is because if... If it was a short to mid-term success, we would have spent £10 million on Stran Larsson. We would have brought in Emil Reese for however much. We would have sort of buckled on, on the Jokeres figure and brought him in. Again, last week, I, I didn't want to say the word disconnect, but maybe people just aren't on the same page because surely Wilder and the manager that he is, you would expect as a fan quite naturally, it breeds that, That expectation of, okay, we've brought in a manager that has done it before in the Championship, that plays great football, that ideally should probably be in a Premier League job when he took over at Middlesbrough. And yet it's that sort of expectation leveled with, oh, but it's a long term vision. That doesn't align with me. That doesn't match up with me. You've got a manager there that is successful, and you've got a team that kind of wants to to build. it just doesn't make sense to me. So I kind of just feel like it's not aligning at the moment.
3: Just to kind of add on to that, I was thinking about something similar yesterday. I don't think you've signed Zach Stefan as a goalkeeper, as your first choice goalkeeper for championship season, if the aim isn't playoffs or promotion. Same as I don't think you sign Ryan Giles, who is, I would say, the best left wing back in this division. If you're planning on a long-term vision, you're you're not planning on getting promoted this season, and you know it, it, it's just kind of building blocks towards um, towards the future. Because the amount you're paying in wages for, for for those two players, probably Stefan in particular, why would you do that if you weren't if you were planning on being in this position for another couple of years? I think. Half of our transfers there have been kind of based around short term success, and then it, it doesn't make sense with some of the other ones, Hoppy and Force in particular. Like, you don't, you, it's clear that we had, um, we were in need of strikers over, over, over the pre season. So, why spend money on two strikers, one of whom has played at Championship and Premier League level, and just to?
2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
3: and as a finnish international just to say he's a development striker i don't i don't get that at all and it's like i said on on the last podcast the whole kind of like moneyball analogy i feel like the, Kieran Scott and the the guys from the club in charge of the the transfers had a vision on what they wanted this team to be, um, which players they would need to get there, which players would fill certain criteria, and they're just not being used. So it's it's kind of like it, the an- analogy of of moneyball. There would be kind of like getting rid of some of the players to to force the manager into. At uh, no pun intended, um, to to <laughs> no. making that decision to play them. So I, I, I just I, I don't get in terms of our squad building what we've what we've done here. But I don't think for a for a second, you know, while while there was saying a few weeks ago about like he wasn't sure why there were certain expectations uh, and, and stuff like that. I think the expectations are because of the players that we've signed, like. People go on about like, oh, there's been like no marquee signing and stuff like that. I would argue that like Stefan, uh, Giles, Lenahan, and Clark probably do stand out as absolutely fantastic signings in this division. It's just they're not playing like it at the moment. And, and like I said earlier, players don't lose that skill overnight. So, what have they been doing on the training pitch? Mm, it
1: is a conundrum. Wilder mentioned the the waveform. We actually have the joint or second uh, joint second worst away record in the league so far this season. Just one point picked up from five games, one draw, four defeats. You have to go back to Peterborough in April, at the beginning of April last season for Borough's last victory on the road. So nine games ago. Tom, why are Borough struggling? And I mean, I could probably finish that question there, but why are we struggling so much away from home?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say we're just struggling in general, so I don't think <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem necessarily <laughs> limited to when we go on away days, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, you, you go into Coventry, they hadn't won all all season. I, I think on the way out from the ground, someone said that's the first home goal they've got all season. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know if it was a Borough fan or a Coventry fan who said that, um, but it, it it just seems like if you're struggling at home, don't worry, because you're playing Boris soon. Um, I, just, I, I don't get it, because, like I said earlier, we're just not playing the way we, we used to when, when Wilder first came in. we come become very predictable, and I feel like at home, I don't know, there, there maybe just seems that little bit of nervousness from the players, Um and it, it could just come down to, you know, not knowing what they're doing tactically, having that, you know, not drilled into them as, as much because it was never a problem, say, like uh, our our last successful stint under, under Karanka, you never... I, I was saying this to one of the guys I went with yesterday. When I used to go watchers when Karanka was manager, it wasn't, are we going to win today? It's like... I wonder how many we're going to win by today, and that that was that was at home. I didn't think we'd ever concede, and mm. I just figured it was always going to be two two or three nil. And then away, I, I never like um, away games just because I think I listened to most of them around on the radio around that time, and I don't know. There's always something about listening to it on on the radio where it's just like I don't know. It just kind of feels like lack of control. It, it, yeah, even though you're not in control anyway. But, like, because <laughs> you can't see what's going on, it's it's just, it, it's a little bit more unsettling, like, like you say.
1: Yeah, I um, know what you mean. I feel that completely.
3: But, like, even at that point under on, on Crank, you just thought, oh, well, it might be, like, nil-nil. Or, uh, you know, I, d- I didn't feel nervous going into any of those games. And, and now we're going into it, it's like, shit, are we going to win at the Riverside this week? Like, what what about when Birmingham come come on Wednesday, they're going to absolutely batter us in the first half like Cardiff did. Or uh, and then you've got Millwall away next next Saturday, and it's like, God, tough place to go. That how are the how are the players even going to handle that? Um because they they just can't seem to handle anything away from home at the moment. It it just it, it seems like unless I mean I, I'm gonna use this as an example, but they would probably beat us like Unless there's a team that hasn't won since like 1997 or something like that, and haven't haven't (laughs) scored at home since 1997, there's no reason to go into any away game feeling confident. And like I said, you could go into that game and probably still beat us and get their first goal in you know (laughs) just under 30 years anyway.
1: Yeah, I do think it's um, everyone always says a confidence issue, but I do feel like that definitely plays a part because sure there'll be a bit of a monkey on the players' backs where. It was a problem last season. I remember when we were reviewing or previewing the Preston game and I sort of was basing my prediction on the game or my feelings on the game around our away form because at that point it wasn't great and I think you can stretch it further back. We haven't been brilliant since the turn of the year in general anyway, but especially away from home and it doesn't feel like the players are confident. It doesn't feel like the players believe in themselves, but they have to believe in themselves because they were good last season. I agree with you. They don't just become poor overnight. Yes, you can have peaks and troughs in performances. Yes, the players get a year older. They they can get past their peak, which is individual to each player, by the way. We don't just hit 26 and then they they decline, they plateau in football ability. But they have to believe in themselves because they have shown that they can be a fantastic football inside with with great swagger and great confidence we're not seeing that individually I think a lot of them are a shadow of themselves collectively and yes I know we've we've got a different team in terms of obviously we've lost players we brought some in but collectively we look a shadow of, of the team from last season as well even in the basics even in the The kind of patterns that we know, the combination play on that right-hand side, I think, has been lesser this season than last. It's less of a threat. Uh, The midfield is a problem. It's it's incredibly leaky and porous and poor and, and just doesn't have the dynamism or legs. But I'll reiterate it. They can do it. We have seen them do it. They need to believe that they can do it again because away form is poor our form in 2022 has been poor they just need that one big phoenix from the ashes type win and then they need to add on it because it feels like one step forward two steps back again but before we go into the prison place, which admittedly is going to be really difficult this week, I do want to give an extra push for the Football Content Awards. Of course, if you haven't um, heard already, where have you been? We've pushed it God knows how many times. Uh, we are up for a national awards in the FCA's. We're down to the final eight podcasts. We need a little bit more of a push from you guys if you haven't voted already to vote again, there's many ways that you can do so. The links to those ways to vote will be in the descriptions of the podcast and YouTube as well. You've got until October the 9th. So as we record this Sunday, a week to vote, please, please do. It would be absolutely fantastic to bring that award back to Teesside. So thank you to everybody that's voted so far. Keep it going and hopefully uh, we can get That award brought back here. So, Tom, praise in place. Of course, praise in place is the place where we give praise to a fan, a player, chips and curry. We'll get that in there all the time. Um, Who gets your nomination this week?
3: It's going to be a very short one this week, but Rodrigo Muniz, again, for the same reason I nominated him last time. He just seems like a workhorse. Like he's never, uh, he never gives up. you know, always battling, always going in for for the headers, generally wins a lot of them. Uh, you know, vertical leaps fantastic and that respect the <laughs> wish I had it. Um yeah. but
1: it's that Brazilian spice in it.
3: <laughs> but um yeah, I just thought yesterday he was probably the only player with kind of any credit for me in terms of never giving up and felt uh, a little bit bad for him when, um, you know, Coventry's keeper was being a bit of a knob at the end and, you know, pushing against <laughs> the, the boards and stuff. I, I don't know. Uh, Jones got absolutely wiped out on the right-hand side. Uh, and then I think Muniz went to get the ball. I was looking at Jones did, and yeah. l- looked back and and them two were were arguing and... Their keeper was trying to push him over the boards or something, and you know, all the borough fans around the area are absolutely fuming. I, I want to go down and just back him up, and just <laughs> it's all right, Moonis, Don't worry, but, um...
1: <laughs> a brawl,
3: <laughs> but um, yeah, like, like I said, just never stopped working. Uh, and I've never seen uh, a game so far where that's been the case, so. At the moment, on this run of form, I just feel like he's going to be the show win for my present players every week because nothing's like I said, nothing, nothing really changes game to game at the moment. And he's it's only him who's the the bright spark. I, I will say I, I did think he was um, a little bit unlucky not to get on the score sheet yesterday. Um, I think the second attempt he had in the the first half again. Right, right down the other end of the, the ground for me. Uh, I've only seen uh, a replay on someone's phone at this point, but it did seem that he had more time than, than he thought he had. Um, but he got a couple of decent shots off in that game. It's just a, a shame they were both at the keeper and ju- also just a bit of a shame that they didn't hit the keeper in his face, to be honest, after <laughs> after, after that, that injury time us. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Tom. You know what? For me, I'm going to say... <sighs> I want to say at Pom because at Pom when he came on, there was some good link-up play, and I'm not going to say that there was a lot of it because there wasn't, but there was some good link-up play between him and Mooners and McGree, and, and I just like at Pom. I like his redemption arc so far. Um, I can't actually believe that he we we're kind of pinning our hopes on him, considering that he wasn't even training with us in pre-season until the last week, but. I think I'm going to say, I'm going to say at pom and a special mention to the bacon and egg McMuffin that I had just before I went on the coach. So there's that as well. <laughs> but, we had
3: the, uh, like, what, two and a half thousand Borough fans that went down there yesterday into that frozen place as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. To be honest, train strikes
1: as well. Difficult yeah, for them ab- to get down. Ab- so. Absolutely
3: quality effort from from everyone who got there, I think.
1: Yeah, especially with the football that Borough is serving up so far. But moving on to questions, questions, uh, you can send us your questions in all the ways that you probably should already know now. But if you don't already, it's Twitter at Borough underscore breakdown, Facebook and Instagram as well. And also via email, the Borough breakdown at hotmail.co.uk or is it .com? No, it's not called it UK, uh, but the first question is from Charlie. He asks, "Can this midfield issue be solved with the current players in the squad?" Tom.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think I'm I'm a big believer in uh, that that can happen, and and uh, players just need to be used correctly. Um, people are probably going to be sick of me talking about it, but going back to the last time we were successful and looking at when you know Karanka came into the club. Turned Emmanuel Ledesma into a, a player that you know. We we ended up building around for about half that season because he was probably one one of our only uh, creative outlets, and he so much better. So I've, I've got absolutely no doubt that we're in a much better place in terms of squad quality now uh, than we were at that point. You know, we're not having to play centre midfielders at right back or a- anything like that and they're, they're just not um, not playing to their full potential. So I fully believe that we're, we're probably only seeing around, what, 10% of what these players can do at the moment, and it's just about unlocking the extra 90%. I think once we, once we do that, we'll, we'll look like a completely different team, uh, and, and this team does have the ability to do that. It's just for whatever reason now, they're not showing us.
1: The email is com, not .co.uk. I fumbled the bag there. I apologise. But I think in terms of a, a midfield solution, it could be a case of dropping two sixes and an eight rather than one six and two eights. You could have... I really want to see McGree as the number eight, because I do think that he has the ability and potential to be a ball carrier. And when we saw him come on yesterday, I thought he was bright in his passing selection and trying to carve open and opening. I don't like him as a number 10. I think that is a a really specialised position that needs a Gaston Ramirez type player. We don't have that, so don't play that. The two sixes, we have been, as I've said, really porous in in midfield. Uh, Wilder did go with two sixes against, was it, Carter? no, it was against Rotherham where he moved Crooks back. But Crooks has been poor. And the issue with Crooks is he doesn't have any competition apart from potentially McNair. But then McNair came on yesterday as a right-sided centre-back. So it's, uh, do you really want to put McNair in midfield? So for me, I'd probably play Housen as the sort of defensive screen and then Luongo, I'd actually bring him in as the distributor because he's somebody that can uh, get his head up and play that quick pass and then agree is the eight. But I, I, I by no means think that that's a, a perfect solution. We don't have a great sort of collection of midfield options, to be honest, certainly the way that they're playing. More and Crooks just don't get in the team for me the way that they're playing at the moment. So that's a potential solution in my mind anyway but I don't think it's perfect by any means Uh, but Carl Watson asks are we really any further forward than the side that got beat by Coventry 2-0 this time last season Tom
3: well yeah we're one goal forward
1: (laughs) (laughs) fair enough small games
3: Um, yeah we've been 0-0 next season but um, (laughs) I, I think in terms of the the squad building um I think we're in a much better place than we were last season. Um, as I've just been saying there, I, I don't think this squad's playing to its full ability at the moment. Um, if there were, I don't think we lose that yesterday. Um, it's just to you know, quote your three words, something's got to give. I, I think something needs to change. Um, I quite like your suggestion there of, of playing with two sixes. I, I think we need to see someone like Luongo come into the team because this Current setup's not working, uh, and, and there's not enough in the midfield at the moment. Um, I, I think it's either we stick with with this system and kind of tweak it a little bit like that, or we just overhaul it and go for a different formation. Which you know, Wilder's done before in, in previous jobs at Northampton and Oxford. Uh, I think he did play 4 2 3 1 at, uh, at one of them. Um I don't necessarily think four at the back might be the best way to get get the best out of the defenders that we've got, um, but it, it you know we could go like five four one and kind of just go with like two um, uh, proper fullbacks i have Baller and, and and Smith to you know I'm got no doubt that they'll be able to uh, to ov- overlap. Charles and Jones uh, play John's, Charles and Jones a little bit further forward you've got less coming off the bench uh, in, in that system but uh, uh, it might make us a little bit more solid but I, I do think that we've recruited better than last year and we look more like we've got round pegs and round holes than sure. than last year uh, and we filled a, a lot of the the areas we did need to address it's just the midfield is a, a massive cause of concern at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of the shortcomings of this team from that last team. Um, keep mentioning it, but Tav is such a big, big miss. And I always thought that it would be difficult to replace him. Well, I'll just park that there because I know people are sick of mentioning Tav. Um, I certainly am. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Liam asks... What's the difference between Prime, Wilderborough Borough, Forest at home on Boxer Day last season, which was a very, very good victory, probably the best performance that I've seen of, of Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough and the team we've seen today? Is it confidence? Is it players? Or is it the manager?
3: Uh, all of the above for me. I, I think confidence is a massive factor in it. I think it's on the manager for not having the the team drilled as well as they should be, um, and then also the players. Um, although I said you, you can't really blame the individual mistakes, they are still the ones making them. Um, so it, it is on while the. Uh, get get those mistakes out of them uh and have them drilled cuz if they are drilled they don't make them uh or or if they do they they probably get dropped in in that scenario uh but there's too many players making mistakes at the moment um, I think it does come down to confidence uh, in that they, they might be scared to, to do certain things in case, you know, they've ended up being the cause for a, a goal and they're one of the individual mistakes that uh, that the manager talks about in, in post-match. Um, and, and then also one of the main differences, I think, between uh, a Boxing Day and, and this point now is our pressing, which I think is pretty non-existent at the moment. Um I, f- I think we do look to press and stop teams from playing out from the back, but it's almost like it's done in slow motion. Um, like you, you kind of see the uh, the strikers going to close down uh, one of the defensive options, but then they'll have a clear pass to, to someone else who's not being pressed from, from anywhere else in the midfield, and then... You know, the ball go to them, then the midfield will move and then it will kind of work further up the up the pitch, Um, which I, I do think our defence do a decent job of, of stopping that, that kind of final bit of play for the most part, not kind of counting Cardiff uh, a few weeks back. But um it, it doesn't seem... Like, if, if you look at the Forest game last season and how we forced, was it Yates at the time, into mm. making that mistake was, and, yeah. and that... You know, 25 yard shot back to his keeper. Um, (laughs) the pressing in that game was so good, and you just we don't see it anymore. And I I feel like that's one of the main things. Like teams generally have as much time as they want on the ball with us now, and it's just complete difference to, to what we saw last season.
1: I've just got my notes up here from that Forest game and words like buzzing, outstanding from start to finish, so impressive. Um, I likened it to the the victory over Brighton under I talk anchor and, and a lot of what's in these notes is about that pressing and kind of penning them back and just being really incisive with that press. As I said it. It came in waves of three, and Housen was was pressing the the distribution out from the back. Um, which, as you said, they forced that that own goal from Yates. But yeah, we don't really see that anymore. And also dominance on the ball. Um, we had sixty two point seven percent possession in the first half against Forest, and then fifty four percent overall. Uh, I've mentioned well drilled. And something that you've mentioned being well drilled, well-drilled build-up patterns, nullifying their key players, limiting them to touches. We don't we, we seem really far away from that now. It it doesn't feel like we're well drilled, it doesn't feel like our combination play is incisive, our press, as you said, there is, is not there. Um it it could be a personnel issue and Maybe not having the players to be able to to introduce or reintroduce that press, but then we still got house in that team who was fantastic that day in in his pressing. It's just very bizarre and it's a conundrum I think the one of the biggest words to describe this season so far is probably conundrum because we've just been so far away from the goodness of this team that that we knew and and kind of became so accustomed to and comfortable with uh, last season. But Ralph says uh, Borough finally have a vision strategy and an attempted identity on the pitch after years of overspending and lurching from one approach to another do you think they will panic at the first sign of trouble and fan reaction or do you believe they will hold their nerve and give Wilder this season to keep building regardless of league position I've got a few points on this and I've got a question back to this question and that is what is our vision I'd love to hear that communicated by the club because I think we've we can assume and we've probably heard drips and drabs of things in the Gazette and whatever. But I would love to have full transparency of what this vision actually is, because yesterday after the game, there were a few quite vocal shouts of of Wilder get out, Wilder out and lots of gesticulating at the players. I think the fans are starting to get a little bit restless of what they're seeing and a lot of the time when the results don't come for for fan base they will start to have those existential questions of oh is there something going wrong behind the scenes is there that matched up thinking or not i kind of feel like and i i I understand why borough don't always come out and, and be openly transparent and communicate to the fans what their plans are because sometimes quotes could be used as a stick to beat the club with i we Want to Smash the League, Golden Thread, and, and one that you mentioned earlier, Tom, Marquette signing, I think is becoming this season's one. But I'd just love for, for Kieran Scott or somebody to come out and just tell us what what the direction is, what the vision is, because I do feel like it's in the fans' interests to know and as I mentioned earlier if that is long-term success then the jigsaw just isn't isn't fitting because I don't think Wilder is a long-term success sort of manager he signed a two-year contract a two-year contract and fans will naturally expect because of that and because of Wilder's success in the past that we will get that short to mid-term success short to mid-term promotion and if that's just not what the vision is for Borough right now when their immediate priority is to sort things out behind the scenes or to get this project building up i would love to hear that i would love you know this is a club that put the gazette put the local paper in the naughty corner and effectively shut out two journalists because of a so-called lack of transparency it would be great to just have them be really transparent and open with us um don't ban me borough but i would just love to hear something from them that just details what the plan is it would be brilliant to hear that and as fans I do think that you know we we should know about these things but that's just me um, I might be naive but I'd love to hear it uh, but final question is from Matty he says how have we got the best manager in the league and still putting out performances like that?
3: I wish I knew the answer to that question to be honest um, you know We've seen what Wilder can do with with the team when when he first came in and how he had the team playing. It was a complete difference uh, to what we were seeing under Warnock in such a a small space of time. So I don't understand what's gone wrong now, but I feel like there's clearly something not right, um, and I, I I do think that the the um, apparent disconnect from from looking from the outside in uh, on transfers, maybe something to do with it. I felt like that interview yesterday where he said, Yokarez is the best player in the league, I felt like that was a shot at recruitment. And that was before I'd even kind of read the, um, I think it was either the Gazette or the Echo this morning, where they went in, actually it was the Gazette, where they went into like further detail about it, um and and he was saying, Oh, yeah, there was interest during the summer and stuff like that, he like I think it was BBC T's where he'd mentioned uh as being the best player in the league. And I don't know, there, there was a big difference between that and the club interview I found, uh, which so I'd be interested to know which one was recorded first, but it, it did seem like there was a a shot fired there, and it, it does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect in terms of the um the transfers, uh transfer strategy that we've had and, and, and the transfers that we've made uh this summer. So potentially that has something to do with it, but I'm I'd just be speculating there. But yeah, I'd I'd love to know why the apparent best manager in the league is still, you know, within the bottom three with this team.
1: Honestly, conundrum It's just going back to the whole head-scratching nonsense that is Millsborough Football Club right now. But there is a quick turnaround because Borough Horse Birmingham on Wednesday night and to get an insight on the Blues, we dialled in with the brilliant Gab Son.
0: I think we're happy with how the season's gone so far. To be fifteenth at this stage of the season, uh, eleven games in, uh, three wins, four draws, and four defeats. Um, I think that's um, yeah, that's a lot better than what a lot of fans had uh, had maybe feared before the season. Um, I think if you talk to um, a lot of blue blue noses in July. Um, It's funny, isn't it? There were were Reading fans that were sort of quite bullish about their team, even though they had just stayed up the year before. There wasn't that same bullishness in in the Blues camp, and uh, a lot of us were almost a little bit resigned to to a season of struggle. But uh, John Eustace has very quickly uh, sort of galvanised the group. He's given us a bit of hope. Um, I think he's a really good coach. I think he's done a lot to sort of bring the club and fans together um, in a way that's. Certainly the board haven't done so. Um, yeah, a, a lot to take from that. Um, I think in terms of the style of play, uh, we're a 3-5-2 outfit. Um, we're not particularly high press. Or I imagine will, uh, with Troy Deeney and Scott Hogan, they'll be quite happy to let certainly the middle centre-back and the goalkeeper have the ball. Um, and... Happy to to sort of um, let them play it out to one of the wide centre backs um, for yourselves, but that at that point it's um, they're going to probably try and. Well, firstly, they'll probably try and cut off the pass into Johnny Harrison and um, maybe to Alex Moat. And then we'll probably look at, um, at maybe the wide midfielders like Bakuna and Chong to uh, to press the wide centre-backs when they get the ball and sort of cut off the pass into the wing-backs. Um, but I think when we do press, it is quite measured, I suppose, because um, we we want to try and sustain it. So it's quite intelligent. We know the distances between units. And it's all Done with the idea of keeping keeping those tight gaps between units and also protecting uh, the back three. Um which we've done for, for much of this season. So that's going to be the aim. I'd expect your lot to have probably more of the ball. Uh, and for us, it's going to be, can we counter-attack through Bakuna and Chong? They're probably the ones that are going to be really leading the breakaway. I was delighted to get to Heath Chong for, um, on a four-year contract from Manchester United. I think we did very well to get that. He was outstanding when he was fit last season. So... Um, I think he's probably going to be our danger man this afternoon. Um, and th- I'm a bit wor- wary of a Middlesbrough reaction as well. Um, because I know I know you you a lot like, haven't had uh the season that you you wanted so far. Um but at the same time it's still Chris Wilder. Um it's still the team that so many people fancied to uh to win for promotion and I, I still have that feeling from the outside that you know if Wilder can make one or two tweaks that make a big difference, um, then I could still see Middlesbrough putting a run together now. The point at which that run can start and the point at which um, uh, the 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 number of points that middles are going to need from that run is uh, is sort of increasing, um as uh, as the weeks go by, and uh, I'm cautious of that, but I still see Middlesbrough as um, as a threat. And um and uh, yeah, team to be uh team to be respectful of, even though you you've not had the results you're looking at so far. Uh but yeah, really happy with how we've gone, how the season's gone so far and um yeah, picking ticking those points off nicely so far.
1: So I think Gab had us as uh, first in his pre-season predictions. So thanks for that, Gab. Hopefully that actually comes true in the end. But uh, galvanised Blues, uh, a counter-attacking team. I think they've got fantastic pace on the wings, ball carriers as well. Uh, Gab was saying there about John Eustace. He thinks he's a good coach. What are your predictions for this game, Tom? Tell me what you're thinking, what you're feeling. (laughs)
3: I'm dreading it. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with like an optimistic 1-0 uh, just to paper, up the, paper over the cracks for a few days so we lose against Millwall. But um, <laughs> I, I always back us when we're at home. Um, so I, I think I'll have to go for that. But I, I've got more doubt than I have done previously when we've been playing at home.
1: I feel like this game is always a night match. And it isn't because we play them in the reverse fixture at three o'clock. But I always feel like it is for some reason. I don't know why. And I always feel like it's going to be nil-nil because of that one nil-nil that has plagued me ever since. In that game where I think David Nugent got sent off at the end for basically RKOing a player on the the pitch. (laughs) Um, But ever since that, I've just thought, Birmingham, Middlesbrough, always a night game, always nil-nil. But anyway, I think for this one, I think we have to start. Fast. We have to start really well, really quickly, because otherwise I think tensions will get to the players. The Rotherham game and the Cardiff game especially, we know as Borough fans how vocal we are, um, not only in our praise, but in our criticism as well. And if we don't start well, then we will let the players know. But for me, I think I think a 1-0 win type, it won't be convincing, but I think we'll get the job done. Uh, but the part in question for the week our fixtures coming up obviously, we've got Birmingham on Wednesday, then we travel to Millwall, then we host Blackburn, then we go away to Wigan, and then we host Huddersfield. Tom, how many points are you expecting from those next five games?
3: Uh well probably five at the moment, but <laughs> um like I say I I always I was trying like back us playing at home, so probably have to go nine, a loss against Millwall, um then uh, yeah, probably a boring draw against Wigan, which would put us on ten. Um but like I said, I'm I'm not convinced by us at the moment, so I, I, I don't. I think that's probably being too optimistic.
1: <laughs> no, all power to you. Just keep being optimistic, and hopefully, it'll uh, manifest into some good results. Um, for me, I've gone the same. I've gone uh, ten points. I'm expecting, but Tom, how many points do you think we'll actually end up with?
3: Oh uh, God. <laughs> <be nice>. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll go slightly higher than my initial one. I'll say seven. I reckon we win two of the home games and draw one of the games as well um, and then lose the other two.
1: Well, I've gone for, I think we'll end up with eight, and eight points from five games is incredibly poor, so I hope I'm completely wrong with that. Um Listeners, let us know what you think as well for the next five games. Do pop a comment below in the YouTube comments or tweet us, message us on Facebook, etc. etc. But that's it for this week. Thanks, Tom, for joining me. Uh, This was the Borough Breakdown podcast. And what the hell is going on up the Borough Breakdown?